Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, uh, I'm not happy. Bill, you and I have been doing podcasts to varying degrees for, what, probably four or five years oh, now. Oh, I, I mean, we probably first appeared on a podcast together, like, back in, like, 2014, if I had to guess. Like, it, it's been a while. It, what I'm getting at is usually I have some sort of, like, a terrible attempt at wittiness and, and humor when you ask me how I'm doing. Um, that's that's not happening tonight. I, I don't know how to answer that question, but uh, the... The uh, events of the last oh what twenty six ish hours have uh, have shaken me a little bit. Yeah, uh, if you don't know what we are talking about, um, and we are the way that you learn what happened in the last Penn State game. Uh, one, thank you, uh, and then two, just just shut this off. Like, go about your day. Um, take something else from the weekend that might have made you happy. Uh, if you were happy at the election, go be happy at the election. If you were happy because you like went apple picking, go be happy that you went apple picking. Uh, because this is not going to be a fun episode. Uh, this is an episode that we are doing after Penn State lost to Maryland in Beaver Stadium, thirty-five to nineteen. Uh, in a game, Matt, that the the only words that come into my head our identity crisis, because right now I have no idea what this Penn State team is trying to be. There are a lot of words that come to mind. Okay, uh, okay. The words that I can say on this podcast, uh, because if, like, apparently if we don't uh, run by Apple that we need some kind of explicit tag on it, they can get us in some kind of trouble for swearing. Um, so the words that we can say are that, because everything else I want to say would possibly get us banned by Apple. It's. I think that's one of several things that you look at. You know, identity crisis, um, lack of any sort of cohesion, regression. Um, you, you, you pick pick a word, but it's been um, Saturday was shocking on so many levels. Um, as someone who's watched this program, you know, really closely since probably the late nineties. I can't think of a singular game where things went that awry to such an extreme um, when you factor in all sorts of, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, outside factors, you know, as far as, you know, Penn State was what, a 28 or 29 point favorite, I believe. Um, you know, the expectations of this season in general, the expectations for that game in particular. Um, to come out and really from the opening snap, just never look terribly interested in the game. Um, you know, there were a couple of moments where it felt like they had a shot to maybe get back into it. Um, but it, you know, th- those moments were fleeting and, and kind of blew up quickly. Um, they're just, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly what is going on, what to say, because, you know, I, I tweeted during the game, um, you know, at least this isn't as bad as 2003. And I think in a, in a general sense, you know, the um, the, sta- the status of the program isn't as dire, and we'll get into this as we go on, as it was back then. Um, but at the same time, and as I was reminded by a few, several of you guys who responded, that, you know, no one expected 
big things from that 03 team. I don't think anyone expected them to go three and nine. That's neither here nor there. Um, but really not since I was a student have I been so just kind of smacked in the face as far as how Penn State played. And really probably the most alarming part was how quickly it felt like they they folded up and just kind of you know tried to get to the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to start by being as blunt as possible. Right now, Penn State is the most disappointing team in college football. Like, in from coast to coast, uh, in every single conference, at every single level of the sport, there is no team in America more disappointing than the Penn State Nitty Lions. This was a team that was supposed to come into the season and potentially have the horses to push Ohio State, if not potentially beat Ohio State, and compete for... Uh, a Big Ten championship and a spot in the college football playoff. Right now, Penn State looks like a team that does not belong in the Big Ten. We have to start by getting that out of the way. I, Matt, you just said it a lot better than I can. I have been a Penn State fan since I enrolled at the university in 2010. That was the worst loss that I've seen. That was the most embarrassed. Just, I mean, from a football perspective, there have very obviously been things that I've been more embarrassed by uh, with uh, the program and the university. This is the most embarrassed I've ever been by what Penn State put out in the football field. At least with the 2012 uh, loss to uh, losses to Ohio and Virginia, you know there were circumstances there that made it feel like Penn State. You know the fact that they even had a football team at that point was was miraculous. Losing to Ohio and Virginia were just you know pouring salt in the wound. Uh, the loss to Nebraska where Matt Lehman obviously scored a touchdown. That one stunk, but you know, that that's nothing in uh, the grand scheme of things. The 2015 loss to Temple. We went into that season Penn, thinking Penn State, okay, maybe Penn State's a eight, nine win team, something like that. Maybe Christian Hackenberg is a big year in his final year in Happy Valley. We weren't talking about that team like we were talking about this team. And right now, this is something... This is a cloud that hangs over the football program. The most disappointing program in college football right now is the Penn State Nittany Lions. That is where I think we have to start this episode, by getting that out of the way. You and I both mentioning, Matt, just how how remarkable in a bad way things are. Uh, and set the table for what we're going to talk about a little bit later, because I we have to talk about big picture stuff a little bit later in this program, because right now, if we're talking just about this Penn State team, we're not talking about a good football team. People listen to our podcast because they're looking for some level of uh, analysis and insight and all those sorts of things. Fact of the matter is, we can't do that because this team stinks. This team stinks right now. And when talking about that through the lens of the Maryland game, 35-19, to 19, I think, Matt, the one thing that I want to start with is we try and inject a tiny bit of positivity into this. Did anything go right for Penn State during this game? Ooh, um, I'm going to dig deep and, and far to figure out what went well, but I would say um, you know, Jahan Dodson's emergence. Um, I don't have his final stats in front of me, and I think Parker Washington kind of emerging as that that third receiving threat behind Jahan Dotson and, and Pat Fryermuth. Um, beyond that, um, no. <laughs> um, 
there wasn't even, you know, the Ohio State came, I, know I haven't talked to you for a couple of weeks, the Ohio State came that second half, it, it felt like they had kind of figured some stuff out, and, you know, you could take some positives from that, but um, for a whole host of reasons, you know, nothing real else really, not only aren't there really any other positives, there's a whole host of red flag negatives as well. Yeah, I mean, I... I... Because I have the numbers up because that's what I was going to say. Jahan Dotson, nine catches, 123 yards and a touchdown. Pat Fryermuth, six for 91. Parker Washington, eight, 70 and two scores. Um, Penn State has receivers. Penn State has guys that can catch the football. Uh, the issue then becomes a lot of other stuff. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was glad to see some of the guys that got a little bit of run. On defense, you know, Charlie Catcher got out there a bit. Judge Culpepper got out there a bit. Uh, Curtis Jacobs, those sorts of dudes. Like, that. that's about all the good that I could say about that side of the football. And then the other side of the football is the passing game. Like, well, the guys catching passes in the passing game because something is very obviously up with Sean Clifford, and we'll get to that. Uh, how about Nowish? Uh, let's start, before we get into the individual issues... Um, individual positional issues. Why, Matt, to whatever extent that we can answer this as people who just watched the game, did it seem like so many things went wrong for Penn State? I think it goes to what you were just getting at, Bill. I think, at least on offense, I think so much of it comes back to quarterback play. Um, And, you know, we've got, you know, we want to talk about Sean Clifford in particular and, you know, his part in, in the passing game, the running game. Um, you know, why has he carried the ball, you know, virtually as many times as, as the running backs. But I think so much of what ails this offense comes back to quarterback player, the lack thereof. Um, I think they've struggled to run the ball because teams are daring Sean Clifford to beat them. And really for the last, you know, the three games of this season, the last, you know, six or eight of last year, he hasn't done that. Um, you know, it really feels like since the first since the first half of the Michigan game last year, where he cut, you know hit the three touchdown passes, something has gone sideways since then, and he's not threatening defenses deep. You know, I can't. You know, there's at least a half dozen throws on Saturday that jump out to me where he had guys open for big plays and he missed them. And until you start hitting those plays consistently, it's not even a matter of, of showing that you were willing to take that shot. You know, I'm going to put, you know, my cornerback one-on-one with Jahan Dotson because you have yet to prove to me that you can do that, that, that you're going to make me pay for doing that. And so I'm going to put seven, eight, nine guys up in the box and, and dare you to, to throw over the top because we know Penn State wants to run the football. Um, even without Journey Brown and Noah Kane, they want to run the football. And... Sean Clifford hasn't made anyone pay for that. The offensive line hasn't been dominant enough to to counteract that. Um, it, it's it sounds simplistic, and it's you know it's certainly more complicated than Sean Clifford needs to be better. But to my eye, ninety percent on offense at least of what needs to improve is the quarterback play needs to improve. And I don't know if that's you know someone else coming in and and taking over that job. Um, I, I have skeptical whether that's the case from what we've seen you know will levis's limited time last year and take on roberson is just you know redshirt freshman who's only been on campus for um you know a year and a half um has all of what six or eight snaps under his belt um but we, we see it you know i don't know who watched the notre dame clemson game 
on you know, later on Saturday night. But you compare, and it's it's somewhat unfair to compare Ian Book, who's been Notre Dame for 17 years now, or um, I'm even going to try and say the freshman's name at Clemson, um, you know, the former top quarterback in the country as a pro- high school prospect. But the quarterback play in that game was so far and away better than really anything Penn State's shown um, with any level of consistency since, I might argue, even 2017 um, with Trace McSorley's struggles the following year with injuries and, and the like. Um, but even look on the other side on Saturday. Uh, Taga Viola was just, you know, comfortable, confident. He was um, outstanding. He's been in Maryland for five minutes and he was outstanding on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's you. It doesn't take a whole lot of you know. You know, look at Michael Penix at at, at uh, Indiana, um, um, Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. Even without um, his offensive coordinator from the last two years, has been very good. Um, it's you don't have to look very far to see where the not even elite level, but solid quarterback play is happening, and it's. Um, Penn State put a lot of eggs in the Sean Clifford basket. I'm not saying they were wrong to do so. Um, and I don't think there was any guarantees made when, when Tommy Stevens elected to transfer. But he was, you know, kind of became the de facto guy at that point. And like I've said, for the better part of 13 months now, um, has left a lot to be desired. And, you know, among other things, I don't know where you go from there with the options that are on the roster. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's weird because I don't, like, I am confident that Sean Clifford is the best option that Penn State has. I wanted Penn St- I wanted James Franklin and Kirk Shiraka to take Clifford out of the game, if only because I was worried about his psyche. With how much he was getting hit, with how many passes he was just missing, uh, with how many, you know, the happy feet that have kind of become a, uh, personality trait with him, all those things. Uh, but we'll get to him momentarily when it comes to why so many things went wrong. It, it seemed like the usual refrain for Penn state after they lose to Ohio state, they came out and they just looked like they had last week on their mind. They opened up the game with a you know, Maryland starts the game. Uh, Tagovailoa f- finds Rakim Jarrett. Uh, I'm assuming that they just saw something in the Penn State defense in their planning that they were able to get a pair of touchdowns off of that. And, you know, Jarrett's a five-star. Like, Jarrett is the kind of guy that, and I can't believe I am saying this, Penn State does not have on its roster the guy that you just get the football to and he makes something happen. Uh, and he's only going to get better and better, so that's going to be fun to deal with. And then their first drive, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't any, it wasn't outstanding. They got uh, a little bit of help on a pass interference in there, but you know, fourth and three at Maryland seven, they decided to go for it. Uh, Sean Clifford throws an incomplete. Was that the fade route to Parker Washington, Matt? Yeah. It's that, okay. um, that's that slot. Um, I can't remember what the, the strategic term for it is, but they, they threw it a ton to, to Hamler and, um, and it, it, the Deshaun Hamilton route, like yeah, uh, Hamilton and and um, Hamler ran that route and just ate up whoever was on it. Yeah, and nauseum. Washington scored a touchdown off of doing that a little bit later in the game, but you know he had I, I want to say on his touchdown that was probably like twenty twenty five yards of space and not seven. So they end up doing that, 
punt, punt, touchdown for Maryland, punt, touchdown for Maryland, touchdown for Penn State. Like, it took falling behind, spotting Maryland 21 points, and then they eventually scored again. So going into the halftime down 28-7 to to Maryland, and then on their first drive, Sean, in the second half, Clifford does God knows what, uh, scoop score, touchdown for Maryland, 35-7. to They're in a 28-point hole, and it just, again, it's that common refrain. Penn State is really bad at getting over losses to Ohio State. Uh, for the first half of Ohio State, they were really bad over getting over the loss to Indiana. And I, I feel like that's just permeated throughout the game. And by the time that, you know, maybe, you know, by the time they finally scored their second touchdown of the game, it was, oh, well, not even their second touchdown of the game. By the time the defense settled in, uh, by the time that, because, you know, Penn State games can, you know, we've seen plenty of them, takes the defense a little bit to settle in, but once they do, don't have to worry about that side of the football. Once the defense settled in, they were down 35-7 to to Maryland. And it was the second half, and they scored a touchdown on a 16-play, 98-yard drive to make it 35-13. And when Parker Washington got into the end zone, there was 10 minutes and 16 seconds left in the football game. They did not come to play. They came out looking like a team that had the first two weeks of the year on their mind and maybe stepped onto the field going, all right, it's Maryland. Uh, In the aggregate over the last three years, like they haven't scored a touchdown on us since 2017 or whatever it is. We've outscored them by 150 points or whatever it is. We We don't have to get up for this game to the extent that we need to normally. And they got burnt for it. They got burnt for it. And like you mentioned, Matt, the one of the major issues of the game was Sean Clifford and his play. Um, I want to just talk... We'll talk about the big picture stuff in a second. And Clifford is the first guy that we're going to talk about with this. But just in the context of this game, what was going on with him? Because we've seen... Sean Clifford, you know, for all the crap that he is getting, we've seen him have some really good football games. We've seen him put forth some good performances, even if it's not uh, over the course of an entire game. He was pretty good in the second half against, uh, he was better in the second half against Ohio State. He was pretty good in the second half against uh, Indiana. He just did not have the juice here. 27 for 57, 340 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, QBR of 29.5, 17 carries, 26 yards. What was wrong with him on Saturday? I think it's kind of a continuation of the general struggles that he's had really since he became the starting quarterback. I think he's, it's a great trait in a lot of ways. I think he's an incredible competitor. I think it bites him in the, uh, whatever word you want to use here that won't get you in trouble with our podcast overlords. Um, but I think that level of competitiveness goes both ways. And sometimes when things aren't going right, I think it spirals out of control because he's trying so hard to, to make that play, you know, trying to get back, you know, it's a, a terrible cliche, but you know, at, at 21, nothing trying to get back all 21 points in one play um, that kind of mindset where, I've got to do something big here. And um, the the more it goes on and the worse it gets, it just, you know, it, it, it perpetuates itself in a sense. And that's why 
kind of like what you were saying, I think it would have benefited um, both in the short and long term. I think it would have benefited him to sit out for even if just a series or two to try and get your feet back under you, try and get your head back in the game. Um, it might, it probably would have been too late. You know, but certainly in the second half, it's 35, seven, what two minutes into the, to the second half. But I think like you said, Bill, you worry about the long-term um, effects and his psyche as things that's get, keep going, getting worse and worse. James Franklin has always been, especially at quarterback, you know, you look back to Christian Hackenberg, you look back to when McSorley struggled, um, even McSorley's had those knocks. Whoever his guy at quarterback is, is his guy. Um, there's been very, I can't think of one instance short of, of a significant injury or what an apparent significant injury where he's pulled his quarterback. And I think in a lot of ways that's really good. Um, you know, it's more than any other position in, in sports for the most part your starting quarterback has to be that guy that you have confidence in. And I think if you coaches need to have a certain level of um, leeway with that guy, just because if you pull that guy in some cases, there's no going back, but I think that's not a, that's not carte blanche to just, you know, that's your guy until he, you know, is hurt, not able to be the guy anymore. Um, especially in a game like that, where it's just, it's painfully obvious that, um, whatever benefit there is to getting more reps and, and, and trying to, to write things, um, you risk doing some, I don't want to say long-term damage, but I guess that's kind of the best way to put it. You know, especially with a guy like Clifford, what I said is from all appearances is a guy that's so driven to be, be the best that, that backfires somewhat in some ways with him when, when things aren't going right and he starts forcing throws that the, the, the scoop and score to start the second half. Um, there's no better way to describe it. As far as I'm concerned as saying that that's a guy that's trying so hard to make a play that he runs himself into trouble and, you know, and, and that's the end result. Um, yeah, it's, it's I could go on and on with it. I think I'm, I keep saying the same thing over and over again. He, he, the, the game has never slowed down for him. And I think in the worst scenarios, it speeds up on him. And it just, he has yet to prove that he can recapture that when things start to go sideways. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he, it, it, it's almost like he had, the thing that Trace McSorley was so good at was when Trace got into trouble, he was really good at getting out of it. And he, it's almost like Clifford watched that and tries to do it, but lacks Trace's ability to do that. And against Maryland, Scooper scores a really great example. Just throw that ball away. Live to fight another doubt. Like, he, even it, let's see, that happened on a third and one at Penn State's 45. He throws that ball away. Penn State's going for it on that next play. But he got, he was just so eager to make something happen that that happened instead. There were a few examples where, uh, you know, Pat Fryermuth is streaking up the field and just no one around him, and he airmails it. He's not putting his passes in the places where he needs to put them. And you heard Matt Millen on commentary say a few times, like, that's not a good throw. That's not a good, like, that's, you know, all these sorts of things. And they're all true. Like, Sean Clifford is a guy who snowballed 
like whatever happens with him ends up snowballing for better or worse. When he gets a little bit of steam behind him, he's able to be a really good quarterback. When he makes one mistake, he's so eager to make up for it that he's, he risks making another and another and another. And it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And that, that killed him against Maryland, not only with what he was doing, throwing the football, but running it. Like, I don't know how many of these runs are designed. I don't know how, or by design, I don't know how many of these runs are him just taking off and going. But again, 17 carries for 26 yards. That is absurd. Like, Penn State wasn't getting a ton going on the ground. Devin Ford is still averaging four yards a carry, and he got the ball nine times in the entire football game. I, re- I gave you the number before the game, Matt. Clifford has ran the ball this season 52 times. Penn State's two most used backs, Devin Ford and Keziah Holmes, have ran it 51. Kayvon Lee has ran it another seven. Like, there's just so much on Clifford right now. I don't know if that's because Kirk Shiraka wants there to be. I don't know if it's a decision-making thing, what it is, but there's just a ton on him right now, and he's really struggling to do much of anything with it. Uh, And that kind of leads to the next thing I want to talk about that went wrong with this game, and that's the running game. Like, we came into this season, even once we knew Journey Brown wasn't going to be playing, thinking that this had the potential to be a really good rushing attack. Journey Brown's out, okay. Uh, we'll put Noah Kane in. He gets hurt. Okay, Devin Ford's a five. Uh, was a very highly regarded four star. Kaziah Holmes and Kayvon Lee, young guys, guys with promise. What happened to the running game? I think I mentioned the primary reason earlier, and it goes back to what we were just talking about. I don't think the passing game has done enough to make teams respect it, so they load up against the one thing they know Penn State wants to do, and by all uh, appearances, has the talent to do. Um, that's not to say that the offensive line hasn't drastically underachieved. Um, that's not to say that Devin Ford has been, I don't want to say disappointing, but hasn't um, taken advantage of the situation um, that's presented itself with him being the guy at this point. Um, and I think on on Saturday in particular, you get down to the level Penn State did in the first half, you're throwing the ball, you know, you're, you got to get, you think you have to get back into the game and, you know, the running game hasn't been consistent enough where you can trust it to, to, to carry the offense. And I think, you know, and after that first drive in the second half, you're down 35, seven. And, you know, I think it's, you look at the Ohio state game; they were down what 21, six at halftime, the Indiana game, they were down what 17, seven at halftime they've kind of been forced into a situation where they've had to throw the ball. And at the same time, part of the reason they've had to do that is because the running game hasn't sustained the offense to the level that I think everyone ourselves included expected it to. Um, I I still think so much of it goes back to um, the lack of any consistent passing game. And I think, Short of the second half against Indiana, when they when the passing game has found its stride, it's been in situations where um, you know teams are just not we're trying to not, not give up that big chunk play. You know they were they were willing to essentially play prevent defense because they knew you know that the only way Penn State's getting back into the game is if they can score quickly. Um, but I think it's it's just 
the, this whole identity crisis thing that you mentioned off the top that they, you know, are, are we a, a, a read option team with a running quarterback? Are we an RPO team with a quarterback that's going to, um, you know, the, the threat of him running is going to open up more? Or are we a team that's going to rely on, um, you know, now three pretty pal- talented running backs and a veteran offensive line? I don't think that all, I think all those things blended together um, have just led to this whole confusion about what they want to do and they're not doing anything well enough where you can feel like you go back to that. That's, you know, you hear coaches talk about it all the time. You know, we, you know, we have that one thing, that one play, that one, one guy we can go back to. Penn State just doesn't have any of that. You know, they've tried to make a Jahan Dodson that, you know, they, they have Pat Fryermuth, but they just don't have that one thing that they can go back to, um, which was supposed to be the running game. You know, even without those guys that you mentioned, it's been, um, just zero consistency there along with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, God, I mean, Nick raised a point, uh, in our Slack and I don't know if he's going to write about it, so I won't say the entire thing. Um, but it's a point that he raised about offensive line changed its blocking scheme. Uh, they lacked an off season. They didn't have a non-conference schedule, to figure all that stuff out, but you know, all that stuff again, I'll let Nick dive into this if he wants to, but I think that's a big part of it. Like I don't, I don't necessarily think this is merely a matter of Penn state's players are just not good enough. I think that they're learning this. There's this, I ha- I'm willing to give more leeway on than what we've seen out of Sean Clifford, because this is, this is the thing that needed to take an adjustment. Figuring out how Penn State was going to run the football was going to take an adjustment. And against Maryland, Maryland was more than happy to let Clifford throw the ball as much as possible. More than happy to let Clifford throw the ball as much as possible. He threw it 57 times compared to 36 runs. Uh, I don't know how many of those runs were, you know, he Clifford ran it 17 times. Again, I don't know how many of those were designed, how many of those were him uh, tucking and running because he just didn't have anything. But... Penn State, a reason that Penn State isn't running the ball, one, is because Penn State is figuring out how to do that, and two, other team, the other team is just saying, Sean Clifford, beat us with your arm. And this, this is as simple as possible. Penn State cannot throw run the football because teams are selling out against them doing that, and even if they weren't, Penn State just doesn't, hasn't quite figured out how to run the football in Kirk Shiraka's offense, uh, with an offensive line doing things differently, with three different three running backs who weren't the three running backs they expected to be leading on uh, this season. Uh, that, that also kind of goes to the trenches on both sides of the football. Uh, against Maryland, Matt, what did you think went wrong? Uh, for I, 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 Like I said, I'm willing to get, this also applies to the defensive line, willing to give a little bit of leeway uh, because of the coaching changes that have happened. But you would still expect them to have enough talent that they're not getting pushed around on both sides of the ball by Maryland. It's just I, I think they got. <sighs> this is complicated. Um, like you said, you've got you've got two new coaches, um, but then you add in something that you've hit on a couple of times, Bill, is is the hangover effect that allowed them to come out and get hit in the mouth and and punched and and you know kind of shocked off the bat. Um, in each of the last two games. And I think a large part of it is they have never really recovered from that, that initial punch. Um, 
you know, on, on Saturday went down the field and, and went for and fourth down and missed. Um, it's, it's I, I honestly don't know. It's, it's just so bizarre, especially um, like you've said, the offensive line, they've changed up what they want to do. Um, you have a, a coach that uh, and Phil Troutwine, by all accounts, that is very highly regarded, um, that didn't really get a chance to do a lot of technical work with, with guys. They're guys that he hasn't really recruited, um, or I shouldn't say hasn't really recruited. He, he did not recruit. He inherited them. And um, it's a veteran group that, you know, like anyone who's done anything for a long time has, you know, has habits and trying to, to break those habits is, you know, requires repetition and time together and, and all those things they didn't really have on the defensive side. It's even more astounding because we saw it against Indiana. They were really able to get to Penix pretty consistently for about 58 minutes. I remember talking to you after that game that it was, um, you know, one of the bright spots was how good Shaka Tony and Jason Oway looked off the edges and how, 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 how improved it looked like Penn State's defense in general was at getting to the quarterback. And since the end of the Indiana game till now, that's just vanished. It was like a light switch got turned off. Um, so I don't know. And I haven't looked at things closely enough to say, Hey, you know, teams have responded to that by doing this with their, their blocking scheme or, or whatever it might be. Um, but it's been really easy to run on Penn state's defensive front in the last two games. And it's been really easy and, and quarterbacks have been really comfortable back there for, you know, two games plus the last couple of drives, um, for Indiana. So I, it's just, it's one of a dozen things that we've talked about just being shocking that a group that certainly has the talent. And like I was just saying, has shown, you know, at times this year, it's, they are able to to get pressure and able to control running games. Whether it's that hangover effect, whether it's teams responding to what they've done and they haven't haven't countered that, or something else, it's just it's it's head scratching. Why two groups that I think we thought were going to be really really good just haven't been really at all. Yeah, and then. You know, I'm I, I'm I'm not going to dive any further. But then against Maryland, just talking about the back seven, um, I think two things are going to stick with me for a while from this game. One was Rockham Jarrett on his two touchdowns, just running past whomever Penn State's corner uh, was. I, I think once might have been Lamont Wade, and once might have been. Uh, on both, on Hardy? one, it was Hardy. On, on both of them, the thing that just and it's and it's something that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, as far as you know, bigger picture things. But Lamont Wade on both those, the first one was more egregious to me, at least from from what we were able to see on the, the TV feed. Just totally over pursuing and you know coming from his half of the field and. Not and, and losing contained, you know, is how I'm going to put it. Whether that's exactly what happened or not, I don't know. But you can see very clearly on the first one, he just totally overruns with a terrible angle, leaving the entire left side of the field wide open. And it looked like a similar thing happened on the second when when Jarrett beat Hardy. Um, and it wasn't as wasn't that Wade was supposed to have you know help over the top in those situations, but 
the reason Jarrett appeared to have so much room to open and run, especially in that first one, like I said, is Lamont Wade just totally missed his angle and ran himself out of the play. Yeah. Ridiculous. Like, again, I have to imagine, and I I don't know if Michael Oxley mentioned this or not, I have to imagine they noticed something in how Penn State's defensive backfield works, that they were able to have the same player run the same route and score in the same way twice uh, by doing that. Uh, And then there was on Jake Funk's touchdown run, uh, Jesse Lukita just getting bowled over by whomever Maryland's offensive lineman was on that play, uh, you, you know, just ate a block and got blocked back right into, uh, I think it was on the Tariq Castro Fields or Joey Porter Jr., just to, totally took them out of the play. Like, Penn State's back seven is a disorganized mess. Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields, I think, have generally been fine this season. You know, hardly perfect. I mean, on one Maryland touchdown, I think Porter, uh, there was a miscommunication and someone just ran past him uh, that might have been Dante Demas Jr.'s touchdown. Just ran past him, you know, heels were on the goal line, he catches it like he's fielding a punt, and then he just walks in. Um, That sort of thing. To me... Penn State's back seven. I don't even necessarily think this is a missing Micah Parsons thing. I I, I, I honestly, I, you know, Micah fi- fixes a lot of issues that would pop up, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a lot of guys who haven't played a lot of football, and outside of Tariq Castro Fields, I don't know how much I trust any of the guys who have played a decent amount of... D- Tariq Castro Fields and you know, to an extent, Ellis Brooks. I don't know how much I trust the guys who have played a lot of football uh, in that back seven, Matt. I think a big part of it is um, the for the better part of two years, and I don't think Penn State's safety play has been very good at all. Um, and I think part of that is recruiting misses. I think part of that is guys not developing. You know, you know Lamont Wade came to Penn State as a cornerback. I know that was... Um, he mentioned it when he was when he committed that they talked about playing safety. So that that's not a, a, a shocking move. Um, the their next, you know, they're the, the three guys behind uh, Brisker and Wade at safety are Jair Brown, a junior co- first year junior college transfer, Trent Gordon, who is a converted cornerback, and a redshirt freshman in Tyler Rudolph. Um, there's a reason you've got two Juco guys back there. And I think it's because they haven't really, they've never really had someone emerge. Um, you know, you, you go the Juco route because you're looking for someone who is ready to play right away. That can help fill a hole that's developed from injuries or guys leaving early or, or a hundred other things. Um, I think it's Penn state's linebackers generally have been pretty good. I think Penn state's cornerbacks have generally been pretty good. Um, I, I'm not talking you know, game to game, year to year. I'm talking about over the last five or six years. But the last two years, I think Penn State safeties have really struggled. And whether that's coaching, whether that's the guys that have come in, whether that is you know something that you know we we're not you know privy to by just being guys who watch the games, um, or a, a whole host of other things. But I think you can trace a lot of what has ailed Penn State's defense to their their safety play in the last two years. And I think the other thing that has allowed that to be exposed is something we talked about a ton last year is they haven't been able to get pressure on, on the quarterback. And I think, you know, I mentioned the Indiana game earlier, 
short of that last drive where where Penix all of a sudden it all of a sudden clicked for him, that that pass rush was able to cover up a lot of issues at that in, in the secondary. Um, and now they're not getting to the quarterback again. Those issues have, have reappeared. Um, one other thing that I'm, I think this is an appropriate time to mention and kind of along with this conversation is I don't think they totally know what they want to do as far as covering the slot. You know, we, um, t- um, Tyler Donahue at uh, 247 wrote about this this week with, um, you know, how they want to, it's the star position in the defense essentially is that nickelback. And that's what's led to Lamont Wade coming down and playing there. I didn't really see him down in coverage very much on Saturday when, when I thought to look for it. Um, that's why you saw Hardy on the field. Um, but you haven't seen Keaton Ellis get a shot there. You haven't really seen Marquise Wilson get a shot there. It's been, for the most part, from what we've seen, it's been Lamont Wade coming down from his safety role to play that spot. Um, and we've we've seen the struggles there. And then Daquan Hardy, who... Um, hasn't been able to, he's, he's a redshirt freshman. He's playing really his first, any significant level of football for Penn state. Now Um, he's certainly, um, especially against a guy like Raheem Jarrett wasn't, um, wasn't ready, but I think what you're seeing and Maryland exposed by putting Jarrett in the slot, Ohio state, you know, um, Garrett Wilson is their slot receiver, but they were able to expose with a guy that's not necessarily your typical slot receiver in the sense of, you know, smaller, or quicker, or, or whatever. You know, Garrett Wilson's you know six foot plus. Raheem Jarrett's six foot plus. They're guys that for a lot of teams are going to line up outside. And I think and you're going to see it now for the next five plus one games. And if there's a bowl game or whatever at the end of that, you're going to see it there too. Until Penn State proves that it can stop elite level, you know, th- th- those kind of downfield routes out of the slot. They're going to get hit with it over and over and over again. And Penn State did it to everyone else with KJ Hamler and Deshaun Hamilton. And it's it's not something that, you know, is, you know, a lot of teams struggle with that. I don't mean make this to sound like, you know, the answer is obvious, but Penn State hasn't been able to figure out whether, and it's whether it's because of the defensive system they run, whether it's because of the personnel they have or something else. That more than anything, because I think, like you said, Bill, Castro Fields and Porter have been pretty good outside it's that inside coverage. They just don't have a response for it. And they're going to get hit with it over and over and over again um, for the next six games and whatever comes after that. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's it for talking about the, like I, I, we, we spent 42 minutes talking about the Maryland game and I, I wanted to maybe spend 10 minutes on it because it sucked. Uh, let's talk about the program because there's, there are some wounds that have band-aids on them and I don't know a better time than after losing 35 to 19 to Maryland to just rip them off. I really don't. And the first one I we're starting with is Sean Clifford. And the question has to be asked, should his job as Penn state starting quarterback be safe? And I think this is in terms of this team as it exists right now, Matt, this is the single biggest question. Should Penn State go to Will Levis? Should Penn State go to Taquan Roberson? And I'm going to give a member of our staff credit when I give my answer, but I want to hear yours first. Should his, should Sean, at this point, again, Penn State is 0-3. 
Penn State is the most disappointing team in college football. Clifford on the year 69 for 122, 855 yard, 859 yards, completing 56.6% of his passes, nine touchdowns, five interceptions, 13 sacks, has ran the ball to a team high 52 times for 159 yards and one touchdown, 2.9 yards per carry. Should Sean Clifford's job be safe? I'm going to combine this with the next thing you're going to ask me. And I think short of probably four or five guys between both sides of the ball, no one's job should be safe. Um, I'm not saying that on Saturday afternoon in Lincoln that uh, Will Levis should get the start, but I think the leash on Sean Clifford, like it should be on a lot of guys right now, should be pretty short. Um, And that's not just a, a, a statement as, you know, as to where those guys are individually. But I think the way this season has gone now, um, you have to you have to see what you've got in some of these other guys. If the guy that has a, has a job isn't performing, um, I think some guys have earned, like I said, the benefit of the doubt that they deserve an opportunity to to clean up whatever it is that they're struggling with. Um, but none, no one should have, with the exception of a handful of guys, the a lock on on their starting job on their spot in the rotation, whatever it might be. I think this is a, you know, we've got to figure out what we've got here. And if you're not cutting it, then we got to figure out what the guy behind you, if he can, if he can, um, whether that's Will Levis, whether that's, um, you know, Trent Gordon at safety, whether that's Marquise Wilson playing out of the, playing a slot corner position, whether that's Caden Wallace stepping in along the offensive line somewhere. Um, and, and, you know, you can name a bunch of other guys that are in the same spot. Um, at some point, especially with the the oddities of of this 2020 season as they are, you have to figure out some other answers. Um, especially because your your big goals you're you're not winning the Big Ten. You're not certainly not going to the playoff. Um, you know, yes, you want to win games. Yes, you want to you know right this ship. But at the same time, you have to also acknowledge that through three games very little has gone right and you need to figure out if the the next guys can help help write things. Yeah. I, I, so the point that I agree with wholeheartedly uh, is one that uh, our own Michael Stanley has been raising in the RLR slack basically all season, which is that it doesn't make sense with how the offense is functioning right now for them to have Sean Clifford in at quarterback because of how much he's running the ball. And I like, it's the thing that I just can't wrap my head around. If you want to, they have a running quarterback. Will Levis is a running quarterback. Can he throw the football? I, he's never shown the ability to run, throw it well, but he's shown that if you need to pick up yard, you want your quarterback to pick up yards on the ground. He's one hell of an option to do it. I don't know if, like, I don't know what happens if you bench Sean Clifford. I don't know if the offense changes fundamentally. I don't know if you're getting away from the stuff you want to do. And there's a little a legitimate issue in this. A legitimate issue in this is that the best players on Penn State's offense this year have been Jahan Dotson, Pat Fryermuth, and Parker Washington. And I don't... If Sean Clifford gives Penn State the best chance to get the ball into their hands, then I think that you do it. Uh, like, then I think you're... I don't... Not, not I think you do it. I have, I have reservations about taking him out then, 
Because, like, I, God, this is tough. I, I'm going to ultimately go with probably not. I think, but I do think that James Franklin has to be a little bit more willing to use that quick hook when it comes to him and when it comes to everybody. I mean, when I look up and down this roster, I think Jahan Dotson, Pat Fryermuth, Parker Washington, none of them should be too worried about their jobs. Look along the offensive line. Rasheed Walker, I probably wouldn't take him out. Michael Mennett, probably wouldn't take him out. But otherwise, ask questions about Mike Miranda, about C.J. Thorpe, and about Will Fries if you can. Along the defensive line, I'm not taking out Shaq Tony. I'm not shaking out P.J. Mustafer. Probably not taking out Jason Oe, but still willing to ask questions about all of them. Linebackers, at this point, I want the young guys playing. I want Curtis Jacobs, Lance Dixon, and Brandon Smith to be Penn State's linebackers. And if they mess up, they mess up. As long as they're not messing up to the point that it's detrimental to their futures. And then in the secondary, uh, I want nothing but youngsters and Tariq Castro Fields. Like, I don't know if I want to watch Lamont Wade and Jaquan Brisker all that much more. Like, I would be happy with seeing Trent Gordon and Tyler Rudolph back there if they're learning and getting better from it. Like, at this point, Matt, it just feels to me like the thing that makes the most sense for Penn State, you don't want to punt on this season. Um, You don't want to altogether punt on this season. You don't want to just give up on this year. But at this point, we know that the players that Penn State has been relying on hasn't been able to get the job done. I think you have to be willing to say, all right, let's see what we have elsewhere. Let's in game action, because you know, they see us in practice, but in game action, let's see what we have elsewhere. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of a tweet that I saw from uh, our buddy, Bud Elliott, who's now at two, four, seven sports, but pretty much saying that he's having a hard time trying to figure out what to take from this season. As far as who's good, who's not good. Um, and at the same time, how much, how do you wait that, you know, going forward into next fall and, and beyond? Um, we've talked about it in, in the specific sense of, of Penn State, but um, you look all over Penn college football, there's, it, it's a weird year. Um, and with, you know, the, the Big Ten specifically only playing the eight conference games plus the, the championship week games um, against your, your partner, I guess, from the other, the other division. Um, it's just weird. And I think like you said, and like I was trying to say, Bill, it's, it's a, an opportunity because of the oddity of that. And because of where Penn state finds itself to, to try and figure out what they've got from some of these other guys, um, short of, and I th- I'm probably gonna repeat the same names you did. Um, Jahan Dodson, Pat Firemuth, Parker, Washington, Michael Mennett, Rashid Walker on the offense. Um, and then on the, the, the defense, probably Mustafer and, and Shaka Tony. Um, I think they re- rotated those defensive ends quite a bit. So, you know, yes, Oway plays a lot, but so is Isaac. So is Shane Simmons. Um, but I'd like to see some of those young guys get, get more run at linebacker. I'd like to see Lance Dixon play a little bit more. We saw a little bit of Cur- Curtis Jacobs who unfortunately missed a, a tackle that I think would have forced a punt or at least forced a, a, a third and, and long situation. Um, in the first half. Um, but I, I'd like to see those guys get more run. I'd like to see more of Keaton Ellis and Marquise Walker. I'd like to see, um, you know, the, the, the three, uh, reserve safeties, Jair Brown, Trent Gordon, and, and Tyler Rudolph. Um, because the guys that have those jobs right now just haven't proven that they 
if if they're the best option you have, then so be it. But I think um, the best that they have currently isn't isn't working right now. So I think this is a chance for development, like you said, Bill, as long as it's not to the detriment of, of those guys' long-term future as well. And then the big one. Um I've seen plenty of Penn State fans, just you know, just by nature of them being fans, say, you know, James Franklin's job should be in trouble. I have seen that in the past. It feels like it's gotten to it, it's been louder than normal this week about James Franklin um, and about members of this coaching staff just uh, as a whole. And Matt, I am not someone especially in the midst of a global pandemic, I'm not someone who will ever sit here and advocate for a person to lose their job. Um, but as I'm looking at this Penn state team, it seems to me like some kind of, some kind of big changes is necessary. When Penn state got stale after the 2015 season, a big change was made. John Donovan was out. Joe Moorhead came in. I don't know what that big change is. Um, we'll talk about Franklin in a second, but just for the rest of the coaching staff, some kind of big change is needed. Whether that is bringing in a new coach somewhere, whether that is bringing in, uh, you know, an- big name analysts, like whatever the hell it might be, something has to be done. I don't know what that something is. Do you think that any Penn State coaches are going to be on the hot, like should be on the hot seat at this point? I think anyone who has a defensive coaching title should be looking over their shoulder. Um, and I think if this was any other year and you didn't have athletic departments shedding revenue, like you know, I think Penn State's they haven't released the, the figures, but I'm guessing based on what similar schools have said. You know that they're losing tens of millions of dollars this year, um, just by not having fans, by lost games and TV revenues and, and everything that goes along with it. Um, so I I would not have been shocked if if this game happened that that happened on Saturday happened outside of of 2020 as we know it, then I would not have been at all surprised to wake up Sunday morning and find out that there had been some, some shakeups along the defensive coaching staff. Um, it, it was, it was that bad. And I think the defense as a whole, I think I saw this on Twitter on Sunday. It was, I think this is the first time in you know, who knows how long that Penn state's given up over 30 points in four straight games that dates back to the, the cotton bowl. Um, but the, the biggest thing to me, and this is kind of where I figured was the appropriate time to make this, this comment was for, Really, since the 2016 season, um, and we've talked a ton about you know the offenses closing out games and things like that. But in so many of Penn State's losses, you know the the Rose Bowl, the Ohio State games, Penn State's defense hasn't been able to make that big play to to get off the field when they need to, to you know force a three and out and get you know and get the ball back to their offense to run clock or whatever it might be. And there was one moment that stuck out to me more than any against Maryland where Penn State gets, you know, goes up 21-7. They come back out and they force a punt. Penn State doesn't really do anything with when they get it. Um, and so Penn State punts it back to Maryland without a minute and a, and a half, minute and 40 seconds left. Maryland has the ball. They're around their own 30. They score in 56 seconds. 
if Penn State can get to halftime at 21-7, I'm not saying they win the game. I'm not saying that they figure out everything. But if they can get to halftime at 21-7, getting the ball out of the locker room, that's a whole heck of a lot different than 28-7. And instead, Maryland goes down and scores the ball fast enough where Penn State going three and out allows them to get the ball back. They kneel on it in the half ends. But that's just the latest example to me of Penn State desperately, desperately needs a stop in that situation, and they don't get it. Um, it reminded me a little bit, um, certainly different circumstances, but after in the 2018 Ohio State game, Penn State went up by two scores with, what, eight or nine minutes left in the in the game, and Ohio State comes back out, and they score right away. They, score, they go 80-some yards and however many plays. They score fast, and... Penn State had a two-score lead. That two-score lead lasted zero offensive possessions. You know, they 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 just haven't been able to get that stop. And at some point, you have to look at Brent Pry, who has done a lot of really good things at Penn State. Um, you know, he's had statistically some of the best defenses in the country. But since that Ohio State game, Penn State I think is now sixteen and nine, if my memory is right. Um, the the twenty eighteen Ohio State game that is. They the defense just hasn't been what we had come to expect. I don't. It's not lack of talent. You know, we've talked a ton about it this over the years. That Penn State, on paper, is one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten for sure, if not the country. And that's not that's on the defensive side of the ball, probably more than the offensive side of the ball. If you go back and look player by player, and the defense has just. It's become stagnant to an extent. Um, it's become, you know, they the, the last two games, the first first play of the game or the first series of the game at least, they come out and the team and they've allowed the opposition to go right down the field. They just haven't they haven't had the big defensive play for a long time. It feels like um, consistently, you know, you can pick and choose here and there, but in Penn State's biggest games, it's felt an awful lot like their defense has been been quite a bit of a liability. And I think whether it's Brent Pry, whether it's, um, you know, Taylor or Terry Smith, whether it's Tim Banks, um, I can't imagine it's John Scott at this point, he's been here for all of eight months. Um, but something needs to change there because whatever they they've been doing, hasn't been working. Yeah. I mean, I, you just kind of made my point on offense. Like I, I think that, I think that the offense will probably end up being fine as Kirk Shiraka gets, uh, gets a better sense of everything. Um, but you look, Kirk Schrock, quarterbacks, coach, offensive coordinator, uh, Jawan Sider, running back coach, uh, Taylor Stubblefield, wide receivers coach, uh, Phil Trout, wine, offensive line coach. It, it's an overhaul on the offensive staff. Um, I don't think that that's going to be, like, I, I just don't know what you could do on that offense with the offensive staff, if only because it seems like they are being held back so much by the play of one player. Um, defense, yeah, the defense seems like the place where um, defense seems like the place where if they're going to do anything major, it's there. And then you know. One of my favorite sayings, one of my favorites always has been fish rots from the head. Uh, 
ultimately the buck stops with the head coach, with the person in charge. And through an 0-3 start, James Franklin is the guy that needs to have questions asked of him. And my general belief is that there has been so much success for this Penn State team over the years that that you can't fire James Franklin after this year unless extenuating circumstances pop up and you know the program just completely goes into free fall to an extent that the only thing that you could do is get rid of the coach. Um, but I think you have to ask questions of him. And I think that he has to answer every single one of them. And I think that if this ship can't get righted and issues still exist next year, that it's going to be really hard for Sandy Barber to say, this is what we want our football program to be. To, to the, the bigger point, I think is the easy one to answer. James Franklin is not getting fired this year. Um, short of some massive bottoming out or off field thing. Um, I, I just pulled up his, the contract that he signed, um, I think it was prior to last season, but he signed in 20 signed prior to the 2020 season. Um, he would be owed somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million if, if they wanted to get rid of him right now, um, just based on how I understand that the buyout um, numbers, if the school were to fire him without cause, um, Penn State is losing conservatively $50 million this year. I'm guessing the the check doesn't exist to, to pay him to go away, his ca- coaching staff to go away, and then bring in someone new who's going to want to be paid, you know, four and a half, five million dollars a year, um, especially if you're hiring the level of coach that I think we all would expect Penn State to be hiring in that situation. So, but I'm just going to put, put, put that out there right now. James Franklin is not getting fired short of some un, ungodly failure the rest of the year. Uh, or unless, some unless, they could find a, unless they could find a reason to fire him. Like, unless it, they could fire him with cause. He's exactly. Not unless there's some sort of off-field thing that that they can contractually say, we don't owe you any of this money or we owe you a, a fraction of it. Um, I think that's true of a lot of coaches this year. Just candidly, I think that's... I think you're going to see a lot of places that normally would be looking to move on just aren't going to because they can't afford to. Um, but that is not the same thing as saying that, like you said, Bill, there aren't significant questions to ask. You know, this is ultimately his show, and it, it's one thing to be zero and three. Um, you know, it's you know the, the Indiana game. You know, they you know that you know it's kind of an odd thing. They're playing Ohio State in week two. I think. On top of being 0-3, losing to Maryland, I think it's how they lost to Maryland. Um, it was a team that was not ready to play and never really got back into the game. I think that's – and that goes back to coaching. I think for all of the the weirdness of this year, um, you know, you're still paying James Franklin, I think it's $5.4 million this year guaranteed plus whatever – you know, bonuses and other things you might be eligible for, you know, you pay a guy that much money to figure out how to, how to deal with uncertain times. Uh, It's no different than, you know, the CEO of a major company that's, you know, hemorrhaging revenue because of a pandemic. You're paying him a lot of money to figure out how to, how to deal with it. 
it's the exact same thing for for any major college coach. Um, you know, I, I live 20 minutes from the University of Michigan. Believe me, the same things are being asked about Jim Harbaugh uh, this morning. Um, the only difference is they got a win in week one um, where Penn State hasn't. So um, there are asking tough questions and expecting answers and improvement is a thousand percent fair. I also think that, like you said, Bill, very few programs in the country have had the success of Penn State over the last four years. We're, you know, in the, in this, the year five of that time frame now. Um, I think James Franklin has earned the benefit of the doubt that he deserves the opportunity to figure this out because he did before. You know, he, you know, we were asking a lot of these same questions in January of, of 2016. And heck, we were asking a lot of these same questions in late September of 2016. And he figured it out. Um, you know, he figured it out by bringing in Joe Moorhead and, and, and that offense doing what it did um, to the best run of, of success this program's had in 30 years. Um, that doesn't just disappear, but um, that goodwill also only lasts so long. So um, he, he certainly has the, has the, the opportunity and deserves it to, to figure it out. But, um, you know, I think depending on how these next six games play out and, and whatever else happens, um, you know, off the field, I think going into 2021 will be very interesting because I, I think, um, you know, expectations are going to be, be where they be high again, as they should be. And, you know, it's going to, their expectation will be there. Cause I think we're expecting more of a normal type of 2021 season to some degree, as far as preparation and, and things like that, that, um, you know, th- this is a question that's not going away anytime soon, unless, um, you know, things go drastically wrong and it, and it answers itself that way. Or, you know, these, these next six games, you know, there's not a, there's not an Ohio state kind of game on there. Um, but there's, you know, six and three is a lot better than, than three and five or four and four. So, um, you know, it, it'll, it's going to be one of many things that'll be interesting to watch over the next, next month and a half or so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just can't fathom, even if it wasn't the financial thing, it just seems like it would be so hard to just, and, and I understand that Penn State has had a bit of a hard ceiling over the last couple of years, and uh, every Penn State fan can point to, you know, thing A, B, C, D, E that they wish James Franklin did better. But I still just can't fathom the situation where they can sit there and say, all right, after this season, uh, it was a disaster season, but we got we to gotta fire James Franklin. Um that does it does seem more like something that they have on the table and consider doing in 2021 if need be just you know trying to think logically about this uh but you know there's a lot of pressure on him this is this is a guy who to go back to what is the inflection point in this program, the post-game Ohio State, like the thesis statement of this program, I, I, I think, the two, post-game of the 2018 Ohio State game said it was on him to figure out how to get Penn State to go from a great college football team to an elite one. And if it was on him to figure out how to go from great to elite, then it is his fault to varying extents that Penn State has gone from great to not good. This is ultimately something that James Franklin 
um, carries more than any player, more than any other coach, because he is the coach and it is his responsibility. And the next couple of weeks are big for him because if you look at Penn State's schedule over the next uh, five weeks at Nebraska, Iowa, at Michigan, at Rutgers, Michigan State, they are more talented than each and every one of those football teams. The team that they're going to play in the Big Ten West crossover game, they are more talented than that football team. And their bowl game, should they make it to a bowl, uh, they are going to be more talented than the other team that they play in all likelihood. One, two, three, four, five. Penn State expectation should be going seven and three. If they go six and four, you know, lost to Michigan in there, that happens. It is on James Franklin to make sure the narrative going into next season is not James Franklin is coaching for his job. It is on him. And the next couple of weeks are going to determine whether or not that narrative exists, starting with going to Nebraska this weekend. uh, And then games against uh, you know, against Iowa and against Michigan. Right now, Penn State is slated in their Big Ten West crossover game at the end of the year to play against 0-3 Illinois. Every other game that Penn State has on schedule, Nebraska uh, sitting at 1-2 in the season, Iowa sitting at 1-2 in the season, Michigan 1-2 in the season, Rutgers 1-2 in the season, Michigan State 1-2 in the season. They are not playing another good football team this year. They need to win out. Again, maybe there's a loss in there. They need to win out. James Franklin has to make sure through hell or high water that there is urgency about this program. Because if there is not urgency about this program, they go into this offseason having to figure out exactly, exactly what the future holds for Penn State football. And for me, you know, Matt, we've... uh, We've gone long. We're on uh, an hour, 10 minutes of this one. I think this is a good place to end it. Are there any final thoughts that you want to add as we're, you know, really about to enter into a stretch of games that are going to play a pretty big role in determining what this future holds for the Penn State football program? I, I probably would find myself repeating a lot of the things that I've been saying for the last hour and 10 minutes. So I think I'll just leave, I'll leave my thoughts with everything I've said up to this point. Awesome. Well, that's it for us. Uh, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all of our various podcasting platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it might be. If you use Apple Podcasts, please head over there, give us a five-star review. Make sure you're reading and supporting the site. Uh, best way to support the site is to go out, buy some of our gear. We have some new hoodies in. We think that you would like them if you want to pick one of those up. And make sure you're following us on all of our various social media platforms. Uh, we're going to be previewing the Nebraska game a little bit later this week. And uh, here's to hoping things aren't quite as bleak as we get uh, – you know, we get into that game, into this next stretch of Penn State season. One more time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.